What is Amazing Love? Well, first and foremost, it's a gathering of people who are committed to reach the lost with the love of Christ. I love a quote by R.C. Sproul that says, Reaching out, or evangelism, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And at Amazing Love, that's just what we're doing. We're a community telling others, we found bread. And not just any bread, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who alone is able to satisfy a hungry heart. And what did Jesus do? He leaves 99 sheep to find the one who is lost. Taking our cue from Jesus, we do so many things to reach the lost, whether it's an outreach event like our helicopter drop, renting space to Lincoln Way Strings or school, service projects like Dirty Ministry, or inviting our friends to come to church with us. And what are we hoping they find? We hope they find community. A gathering of people that you can belong to even before you believe. Come as you are, but make no mistake, as you get to know Jesus, you won't stay that way. We hope they find peace. Everything we do, we're going to emphasize the victory that Jesus won for us. We are forgiven. We are loved. Heaven is our home. We're going to find purpose. Something better than a golf game or doing another load of laundry or spending a few more hours at work. What we are doing is storing up eternal treasure. It's something that will matter now and for all eternity. And when we work together, more is done. More people are reached and more are served in a better way. That's exactly what we've seen in the past couple of years. We've done more and God has blessed us with more. We've offered more events, more group offerings, more planning, more excellence, more inviting, all so that more people found Jesus. But I don't know about you, I'm not done yet. We're not done yet. There's a next level still to reach and a greater impact to be had. So now's our time to dream, to envision, to imagine yourself in the 10,000th year of heaven looking back at life and thinking about what you could have done, what you wanted to do. Where will that lead us? That eternal perspective will lead us to maximize these mere moments, or at least want to to reach so hard so that hungry are fed, so that lost are found, and that we all grow close to the one who is only, the only one built to satisfy our hungry hearts. May God bless us to reach toward that next level. Well, good morning again. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. If you brought a Bible along, uh, also pull out your notes if you want to follow along in today's message. Um, I'll be starting at Matthew 10, actually verse 1 briefly, but then we'll settle in on verse 16 if you want to find it in your Bibles. I'm very excited to teach you this morning. First of all, because it's been three weeks that I was gone, and now I'm back here again. It's exciting to see everybody. Thank you all for your prayers. Uh, they definitely helped me get better. And, um, and so the reason I'm excited, though, is I want to share with you this morning um, a, a little bit of my personal story. And I'm, I'm going to do this in a way that I hope gets perceived as me boasting me bragging, but not about me. 
I, I want you to understand clearly that I'm not boasting about me at all because this, like, I have no reason to boast about me, but I have every reason to boast about the Lord. And so as I tell you this story, I want you to hear this loud and clear. I'm talking about what the Lord Jesus has done in my life, in my heart, in my mind. I'm not, this is the real truth about me. I'm not a naturally empathetic or generous person. I didn't grow up Christian. My sinful nature versus my new man got a lot of food early on as I was growing up got fed regularly, it became the wolf, if you've ever heard that parable of the two wolves, that grew quickly and strong and fat. My old Adam, I'm talking about it. Some of you still get little peeks into my old Adam. If you're married to me or if you're on staff, you get to see every now and then how my old Adam is still right in there. Not generous especially not always joyfully generous, not empathetic. I like to see things get done. And if we're not getting things done so that the loss can be reached with the love of Christ, frankly, I get annoyed. And, and so I'm just sharing that with you because I want to have a personal and truthful moment. And you're saying to yourself, what, pastors? Pastors, like haven't you been in the ministry for 42 years and you still haven't gotten rid of that old Adam? Nope. In fact, the Bible tells me that I won't be rid of my old Adam until I die and am glorified and in heaven, and, and neither will you. But let me tell you about my journey so that you can see the Lord's work in my heart, okay? I became a Christian at age 16, and I happen to have a photo of me at age 18, high school graduation. I thought you might enjoy seeing that. <laughs> this is me two years as a Christian. As soon as I became a Christian, I actually went away to a Lutheran high school. And this is me graduating from Northwestern Lutheran Academy in Mobridge, South Dakota. And let me tell you about how generous I was then, coming out of 16 years of not needing to be generous at all. I had every excuse in the book to not give to the Lord, is the honest truth. My dad had died. I, um, I didn't have a whole lot of money. I had started my first job at age 16, working in a drive-in movie theater, in the summers only, because when you're at a Lutheran high school, there aren't jobs there. You just go to school, and the only way I was even able to afford to go to a Lutheran high school was that when my dad died, he left his social security behind, and I was a beneficiary. That's how I went to Lutheran high school. I didn't have a lot to give, and that made a really good excuse not to give a lot. That picture, I was probably maybe throwing a buck in the plate every now and then when I had a spare buck something left over from the other things I wanted to buy in the canteen. Let's go to the next picture. That's my seminary graduation. This is eight years later. And here's me. That's my mom, our oldest son, Aaron, Julie, 
uh, her dad, her mom, and you've heard me talk about Ray and Marlene Yeri a lot, the people who were instrumental in me coming to faith, my mom and dad in the faith. That's Ray and Marlene. I'm graduating from the seminary. How generous am I by this time? Still struggling, still having to work my way through school now. But guess what? Remember who I said I was going to boast in? Let me boast in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father. By this time, he's moved my heart to remember that when I work, I should think about first fruits giving to the Lord, even before things like school tuition and even before things like the canteen. And so by this time, I'm growing and by the time I graduate, I, I, Julie and I were talking about this last night, I think we were just about getting pretty close to a tithe at this point, 10% of our income. Now, the income wasn't great, but the proportion had risen from a buck in the plate eight years later to 10%. One more photo. This is about nine years later, and that's Victoria Falls behind us. And this is my family, five kids, Julie, me. Where had the Lord moved our hearts, and now it's our hearts by this time? After many conversations and recognizing that the Lord was blessing us beyond what we expected, even though we were living in Africa, we now thought to ourselves, I think it's time. And it was about this time where we said to ourselves, I wonder if we could give 11% or 12%. Could we bless another ministry? And that's when we began to say, maybe the Holy Spirit would take us beyond a tithe. Now, I'm going to say it once again, loud and clear. This is not me boasting about me. I'm a very selfish person by nature. My old Adam is strong. This is me boasting about what the Lord did in a selfish young man. In a, in a man who was afraid to give away his money because he was, frankly, not very wealthy. My dad was an alcoholic and he constantly lost his job. And my mom would work part-time and then she would stop working because they wanted her around for us two kids, me and my little sister. And we struggled. We moved from house to house. And I, I'm saying all of this because when you come out of that, there's a little part of you that wants safety and to find your calm and your peace by having a bank account that feels big enough to take care of you and your family. It's a struggle. Today, you might wonder where we are. We're still beyond a tithe by God's grace. And here's why I tell you this. Some people will go from zero to a full tithe in a day. They'll just go, I'm a Christian now, or I've been a Christian for 20 years, but I haven't been tithing, so doggone it, I'm going to start tithing today. And if that's your mindset, God bless you. 
If you want to go home today, look at your finances and say, I just got to trust God and make the leap and go all the way to 10% starting today. No matter what, we're going to trust the Lord. God bless you if the Holy Spirit gives you that. And if he doesn't, I want you to remember my story. The story of a young man who was so selfish that it took him 15 years or more to get to a point where he was feeling like he trusted the Lord enough to be able to make a tithe and beyond. And I want you to remember that story because today is not about guilting you. Today is about gracing you. Because in two weeks, I announced it, we're going to be offered the opportunity. And I want you to hear that word. That's a grace word. No one's going to be twisting your arm behind your back. Nobody is going to be looking sideways at you. Nobody's going to necessarily know whether you pledged or didn't pledge because you might have done it behind the scenes. You might have done it on the church center app. So we're not going to know, but in two weeks you'll be given an opportunity and versions of this are being sent out in the mail this week with a letter to help you pray about this and think about whether you want to be part of it. And what I'm hoping you're going to see in all of this is zero arm twisting, but plenty of opportunity if you want to take the opportunity. And let me tell you, having been through many vision fund drives, one thing I will just tell you about is two years from now, there's going to be a big party. And at that party, we're going to celebrate the Lord and boast in Him together. Not ourselves, the Lord. And we're going to say, wow, look at what the Lord has done at Amazing Love. Look at all the people, the lost people that the Lord has allowed us to reach. And the question that you're going to want to, to ask yourself now for that two years party is, at that point, will I have wanted to be part of the community that contributed to the next level effort? So just think about that for when that party comes. Now, you know what today is about? Today is not about me trying to persuade you to fill this out. Cross that out of your mind. In fact, in some ways today is about me trying to persuade you not to fill it out. What? I, I think I hear the leaders of the church, Pastor Dustin. He's going to try to persuade them not to fill this out? In a way, yes, I am. And here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. As we go through Matthew 10, you're going to be able to ask yourself, do I really want to fill this out? Do I really, in truth, want to fill this out? And if I do, why would God want me to fill it out? How would he want me to feel and be motivated if I'm going to fill this out? So let's dive into Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to go through this very quickly because that was, did anyone notice that was a rather lengthy introduction? 
So we're going to go through this part pretty quickly. And um, yeah, here we go. What to expect as a disciple who has been sent. That's your first fill-in, all right? Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, chapter 10, verse 1. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's telling his disciples to go reach the lost with the love of Christ. Look at it. Let's put it back up. He gave them the following instructions. I'm sending you out. Where is he sending them out? <laughs> Among wolves. Are these believers? No, because if they were, what animal would he be using? Sheep. He's sending them out into a world of unbelievers, and he's telling them, you're going to have to be smart about this. But maybe even more important, you're going to have to be sincerely innocent. You're going to have to be Christ followers that can be seen by your words and actions to be Christ followers. And doves are a symbol of peace. You are going to be peace bringers. But be on your guard because, hey, out there are going to be obstacles and challenges and danger. Now, it's interesting because even the world knows that obstacles are going to come. And, and the world, going all the way back, I love some of the old Greek and Roman philosophers. Maybe you've heard of a, the philosopher king, the, the uh, Stoic philosopher who was also an emperor named Marcus Aurelius. And much of our American culture comes from this guy, Marcus Aurelius, and the Stoic school of thought. Here's something that Marcus Aurelius said. The impediment to action... Advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Isn't that interesting? Because what's he encouraging us to do? This non-Christian Roman emperor philosopher, he's encouraging us to say, when the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh throw up obstacles, don't shy away from them. Those obstacles are pointing you the right way to go. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is saying in Matthew 10, like, this is what you're going to encounter, lots of obstacles, and then he's going to promise them, look, I'm with you. And I will clear every one of those obstacles for you. In Jesus' own way, not quite the same way as Marcus Aurelius, but certainly just the same, Jesus is saying the obstacle is the way for every Christian who believes in God's power and presence in his life. God says, I'm with you, and I will be with you, and I love you and care about you. And therefore, don't, like, the natural tendency of all of us, well, I'll just say for me is, if there's an obstacle, how do I avoid it? How do I stop obstacles from getting in the way? And Jesus 
along with the worldly Marcus Aurelius, are saying, what if you got comfortable with the uncomfortability of dealing with the obstacles because maybe they're taking you down the right path toward glorifying God? And we'll talk more about that. And so that's the first point I want you to write down. The obstacle with God in our lives is the way. Let's talk about this. Remember, I'm trying to persuade you not to fill this out. Maybe this feels like an obstacle to you. Maybe this stirs up your heart in a way that maybe sounds a little bit more old Adamish than new manish. Maybe, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, this card creates anxiety for you, worries for you. How am I going to do it? Where's that extra going to come from? And here's what I want to tell you first and foremost. Why you shouldn't give to this, number one is if it's motivated by guilt or worry. If it's in any way motivated by, I'm going to give something to God so that he can give something ten times back to me. All that is, is holy sounding selfishness. Don't give if you are feeling like you can't give cheerfully. If you can't give freely. The way God has given his grace to us. The way God has sent his one and only son to us. The way Jesus himself said, no one is forcing me to go to the cross. Now think about that. This is Jesus, the son of God, going to be crucified on the cross. And what does he tell us? I'm not doing it because anyone is forcing me to do it. I'm doing it willingly and cheerfully and joyfully, as painful as I know it's going to be, because I know my father. I know his love for me. I know that this is going to serve the purpose and fulfill the mission of redeeming the world from its sin. So number one, don't give if you're feeling reluctant to give. Now, your old Adam will always have a certain amount of reluctance. You may have to wrestle that down. That's fine. But generally speaking, if you're feeling overwhelmingly stuck on this idea of giving more, don't do it. You're free. You're under God's grace. There's nothing forcing you, and certainly not the Holy Spirit twisting your arm behind your back. All right? So number one, don't give to this if you're not ready to give willingly. I'll give you another reason in just a moment, but let's go on. The enemy of the mission and the vision is worry. Look at what Jesus says next. But when they arrest you, so you're going to go out there, sent by Jesus to reach the lost with the love of Christ. Did any of you ever consider that this might cost you your freedom one day? Just ponder that for a second. Have you ever thought about that as a disciple, a Christ follower? That things could get so bad in this country as they apparently already were in Jesus' day that if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
you will be detained and arrested for it? Like we live in a country, most of us oldsters like me, have lived in a country where we never had that worry. Freedom of speech and all that. Freedom of religion and all that. But if you're paying attention, be careful with your freedom of speech. You might not want to say things like, abortion clinics are wrong. And the reason I know they're wrong is because that's murder. And the reason I know it's murder is because God says so. You might not want to say that because you might get arrested, not just in this country, but in a neighboring country north of us. And several other things like that are beginning to come about. How far will it go? I can't tell you. But I am telling you to think about it and be prepared for it. But when they arrest you, do not, and I want you to circle this word, worry. Why does Jesus say do not worry about what to say or how to say it? At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. If you've circled the word worry, there's a reason I want you to circle that word, because this is a meta-narrative. A, a, a big theme in the Bible that worry is worthless. I, write that down. Worry is worthless because it is. L look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6. It's in there somewhere. There it is. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, this is Matthew 6. We're looking at Matthew 10. This is just four chapters earlier. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Don't move the slide. Worry is, it's Jesus saying, worry, say it with me, worry is worthless. You can't, you worry, do you add any time to your life? Then what are you worrying for? Let's go on. And why do you worry about clothes? It's worthless to worry about clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So why is worry worthless? According to Jesus, right here. Why is worry worthless? Because God. Because God, because of God's love and God's wealth and God's presence and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Because if God can clothe the flowers of the field, can't he clothe you? Why worry when worry is worthless and it does nothing for you? And here's the biggest reason. 
why Jesus says don't worry. Going back to Matthew 10. You want to know what a big obstacle, since we're talking about next level obstacles today, to fulfilling the mission and the vision to reach the lost with the love of Christ, when Jesus sends out his disciples to reach the lost with the love of Christ? What's he saying when he says, do not worry? He, and he, by the way, he sent them and said, don't, don't take anything to defend yourself, don't take any food, just trust. What? And do not worry? He's saying it because worry gets in the way of the mission. And if we're true soldiers for Christ, and we truly are passionate for the mission of reaching the lost with the love of Christ, we've got to take worry and dump it. Because worry is getting in the way of reaching the loss with the love of Christ. And there is no bigger next level obstacle to us fulfilling our mission to reach the loss with the love of Christ and our vision to teach timeless truths in a timely manner. There's no bigger next level obstacle than worry. So will you write this down? Live free. Worry free, but in every way free. Live guilt free. Live shame-free. Live free about this card. Fill it or don't fill it. Let me show you why fill it or don't fill it. So there's a, there's a story in the Bible about this guy named Gideon. There's a picture I put up here. I don't know how many of you know this story. It's, it's kind of an obscure Old Testament story. So many of you may not have heard this story, but Gideon was a soldier for the Lord in the Old Testament. And um, he went up to fight an enemy nation that kept constantly attacking the Israelites. And he took 32,000 men, soldiers with him, to fight these Midianites who were numerous. And just as they were about to engage in the fight, God goes, hold on, not yet. Just wait. 32,000 is way too many. So Gideon has this little speech and he says, look, if any of you is worried or kind of frightened or have a family or just not sure whether you want to go to battle, I'm giving you an opportunity right now, kind of what I'm doing with this, to go home. It's okay. God said we were too many. He, he said, take volunteers to go home. Let's Pare it down. So they got it way down, like to something like 2,000. It was very, very few. And God looks at it, and you know what he says next? Hold on. Don't attack yet. It's still way too many. I think it was down to 20,000 at that point, actually. Way too many. So God says, go down to the pool, the little stream that's running, and uh, I'm going to watch how people drink. What? You're going to watch how people drink? Yeah, I'm going to watch how people drink. Well, some went down and, and they drank a certain way. You know, they kind of just got their head in the water and drank straight. And others kind of kneeled down and cupped it and, and pulled it up. And he said, I, I want those guys. You know how many of those were? 300. To attack thousands and thousands of Midianites. Now, uh, 
Turn, turn this over if you've got it. Do you know what percentage of soldiers God used to fight the Midianites of the original 32,000? I put the number there under question one. With Gideon, God used 0.009375 of all of Israel's soldiers to fight the thousands of Midianites. What's the point? God told Gideon, don't have your soldiers worry. Basically, just ask them this. Which of you, when all of this done, wants to be able to look back and say, I was one of those 300 by the grace of God? I, 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 I didn't have to participate. I could have raised my hand and gone home, but I got to participate. And because I got to participate, I got a direct eye on what the Lord will do, and I can boast on Him even more intelligently because of this experience. That's the question here. Also with this and in all of life, Christian life is not a have to, a force to, a twist your arm behind your back. You need to. It's a, what do you want to get to experience under God? What, what beautiful, grace-filled, powerful experiences do you want to enjoy as a child of God and a follower of Christ? Whatever that is, step up to it. You can be one of the 300. All right, let's move on to the final point. Success leaves clues. How do we know that we're overcoming next-level obstacles? How do we know that in this church... Things are going the way that God would hope that they would. Well, success leaves clues. And this is what Jesus is saying here. What are those clues? Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. So what, what does that suggest? If someone is up on a roof shouting a message? What does it suggest if they're taking things that people are whispering and going, let's talk loud about that. That news is too good to be held back. What does that suggest? To me, that suggests fervor, excitement, passion for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. Remember, worry is worthless. Of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, who should we fear? Nobody out there. Jesus says, rather be afraid of the one, capital O, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What are the two signs of success? When will we as amazing love Christ followers know that this church is on the right track overcoming obstacles. But more importantly, when will you? When will you know that you, by God's strength, by the Holy Spirit's power, in God's grace, are being successful at following Jesus? Two big markers of success. Are you fearing God? 
you have a fervor for the gospel? If you sense that in your heart, I fear God. I respect Him. I love Him. I know what He's done. I'm grateful to have God in my life. He has made my life turn a complete 180 from where it would be without Him. If you have that level of respect and love for God, that's called fear of God. And if that fear of God drives you to have a fervor for the gospel, you're successful. And if we collectively together have a fear of God and a fervor for the gospel, amazing love is fulfilling its mission and vision. Write this down. Fear of God and fervor for the gospel are signs of success. Do you know how beautiful it is? To share the gospel with someone, I've got one more picture to show you. Two weeks ago, a PGA golfer by the name of Grayson Murray won the Sony Open in Honolulu, Hawaii. Maybe some of you know this guy. He's a young guy. When he was a very young guy, like 16, 17, 18, he wowed so many people. They thought, this guy is awesome. He's going to be bigger than Palmer and all the great golfers of all time. Bigger than Nicholas. But alcohol got a hold of him. He started celebrating his victories, counting his chickens before they hatched. And alcohol and addiction took him down. And he started losing. He went into treatment, one of the biggest treatment centers in the whole country in Minnesota. It's called Hazleton. Maybe some of you have heard of it. He got better for a little while. Had a few victories here and there and then decided he could have one or two to celebrate the victories. And down he went again into the deep abyss of alcoholism. You know what Murray said last week after his victory? I want to read it to you. Having given up almost entirely on himself, on the PGA, on the girl that he wanted to marry, he decided not to. And why did he decide not to? Because Jesus Christ came into his life. And after his victory, he said, when you get tired of fighting, let someone else fight for you. And that someone else he was talking about was Jesus. He goes on to say, Jesus Christ is first and foremost. Without him, none of this would be possible. He's just given me a platform to write a new story. Remember what we sang, Grace is writing a new story in our life? Jesus has given me a platform to write a new story. Write my own story with him in my life. That's true of each and every one of you, and it's true of all the people we haven't reached yet with the love of Christ. And I, I hope that you, like me, want more Grace and Murrays. Want more people to experience the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. So let's keep on going next level to reach the lost with the love of Christ and to teach timeless truths of God's grace in a timely manner. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your love, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. 
Lord, first and foremost, we pray that your Holy Spirit will enter our hearts and minds and take us next level with you in our relationship with you. Because like Grace and Murray, we know that you are the one writing our story truly. In your strength, in your forgiveness, in your grace, you are the one writing our story. And Lord, help us not just to be, I say this so often, but I hope everyone hears this loud and clear. Help us not to be just reservoirs of your grace, collecting all that we can for ourselves. Help us by your Spirit's power to open the floodgates and be rivers of your grace, to be fervent for the gospel and to fear you in all that we do. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do a little bit later on following the service today is have the Lord's Supper. And uh, in conjunction with that, we like to confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed, which will be right here. Join with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.